Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. And welcome to part two of this week's Oscar season Clash. So, on Monday, we gumped around with Forrest, and today, we're casting our net back to 2003 and seeing if we fall hook, line and sinker for Albert Finney's tall stories in Tim Burton's Big Fish. In telling the story of my father's life, it's impossible to separate fact from the fiction, the man from the myth. The best I can do is to tell it the way he told me. Dad, I have no idea who you are. What do you want, Well, Who do you want me to be? Just yourself. Just show me who you are for once. Discover an adventure as big as life itself. Well, have a winner at the end of the show, but which film will it be? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. the Kraken. Hello, Clash Butters. I know better than to argue romance with a French woman. I'm Alex Zane. <laughs> I'm Vicky Crompton. <laughs> I'm Chris Tilly. <laughs> uh, right then, very quickly, uh, as I always do at the start of episode uh, two of our weeks, uh, please subscribe to us. Please, 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 if you haven't done already, if you have, thank you. And also, if you... Uh, would be kind enough to give us a rating and indeed a review if that's possible. Uh, that is hugely appreciated too. And if you do leave us a review, it might be read out by Chris Tilly, aka Chris Thrilly, which sounds a lot like this. I think this is a five star review, and I'm giving this five star review a 
three-star review for reasons that will become clear. This is from Griff Neal, who says, A fantastic podcast that sees two films clash over which is better, in addition to Alex and Vicky's small talk clashing with Chris's social awkwardness. <laughs> Doctor, uh, is two that... points. What are you talking about? I'm not socially awkward. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> My mum says I'm fine. <laughs> Doctor says I'm fine. You don't Thanks. like the small talk bit, though, do you? You don't like. He doesn't small like small talk, talk in real life. It's consistent. Doesn't like. He doesn't like talking to us one bit. Talk to him about films. Fine. Ask him anything else. He's a wall of non-emotion. <laughs> football. Oh yeah, sorry, football. I, I never talked to you about that. Well, that's the problem. Neither of us like football, and so you know, where's the common ground here? Where's the common ground? If only there was. <laughs> if only there was something the three of us enjoyed <laughs> together that we could talk about. Uh, right, part two of Forrest Gump versus Big Fish. Uh, Victoria's choices this week. Very quickly, Victoria, remind us why we're doing Forrest Gump versus Big Fish. Because it's Oscar season and Forrest Gump was a massive Oscar-winning movie. Mm. No mention of Big Fish there. Well, on Monday, I <laughs> yeah, got... funny that. <laughs> <laughs> on Monday, uh, I got lost in the forest, which means today Chris is reeling us in. With Big Fish, Chris takes on a journey. Big Fish seems to be about stories and storytelling. The tall tales that Edward Bloom regales his family with featuring a witch, a werewolf, a giant and a mermaid. Author Daniel Wallace says it's about a father's quest to be a fish in a big pond and a son's quest to see through his tall tales. But dig a little deeper and the film is really about a son who is annoyed with his dad because he made some good jokes at his wedding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is, isn't it? Essentially, that's what the film's about. Yeah, you upstage me. I am with Billy Crudup, man. I'm like, I'm like, I can bear a grudge. Watch me bear a grudge. Oh, it's going to be years. <laughs> it also ends with a man turning into a fish, meaning we missed a trick not putting up against Waterworld and Aquaman in a fish boy three-way. <laughs> Lovely. So, when did you first see Big Fish? Vicky, I think this is... A first time watch for you, isn't it? Yes, it is. I I'm aware of it, uh, but I just didn't fancy it. I did. I mean, I know you said before it got good reviews, but to me, I thought it was quite lukewarm reviews, and so it felt like my moment had passed. And it's just never been in the sort of uh, like in my view of like, oh, I really should catch up with Big Fish. I really have missed something there. I must watch Big Fish. So I was intrigued to watch it. I was you know semi excited to watch it, uh, but it's not something I was like, oh, you know, I can't believe I've never seen that. Alex, how about you? Uh, yeah, I've seen it twice before. Um, it's, it's. I know I said on Monday that Forrest Gump is a duvet movie for me, and this kind of has a similar effect, but I don't think it will surprise anyone for me to say not quite to the same effect. But I've, I've watched it and I've enjoyed it twice before. So, yeah, yeah that's it. That's all I got. I've watched it. I've watched it once before and enjoyed it, and I've got no more stories beyond that, I'm afraid. Yeah, it feels like one of those movies, doesn't it? A little bit. It's like, yeah, 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 big fish. Yeah, I've seen it. It's, and it's tricky. What do you what do you pair Forrest Gump with? There was being there. We could have done Benjamin Button potentially, but mm. uh, this seemed like a good match and a fun film to revisit. And I do have different thoughts on it now versus when I first saw it. So, so here we go. Uh, following the success of the film Go, which we've talked about on this podcast before, big Go fans here. Mm. Um, <laughs> screenwriter John August, um, who what's up, Alex? 
No, that chuckle from Vicky is just like, yeah, I know Alex. I know Alex is a go fan. I, I, she, every, I think every time she walked into my room at university, I was watching Go, and I, I went mean, Have you... every time, every time, to yeah. the point where I was a bit worried about. You. Yeah, I, it was the VHS, and it had three music videos at the start, and I'd be like, Do you want to watch the music videos before we watch Go? Uh, they're really good. <laughs> When I was at uni, there was a guy, Phil the third year, who lived on the second floor in my first year. He he only he never left his room really, and he only had two videos: uh, Die Hard and Lee Evans Live, and he watched them both every day. <laughs> every day. <laughs> Sad. Um, okay, following the success of Go, uh, screenwriter John August, who had recently lost his own father, read a manuscript of the book Big Fish, a novel of mythic proportions by Daniel Wallace, and immediately knew how to adapt it. Uh, he met with the author in a diner, they got along famously, and he convinced him to sell the rights. Columbia uh, told him it sounded like a beautiful, small, expensive movie, which they don't <laughs> do. Uh, but they optioned the novel anyway and told him he'd need to secure a big-name director to get it made. Enter Steven Spielberg, who signed on with Jack Nicholson potentially starring. Two drafts followed, uh, with August trying to turn the short stories into a single narrative with a framework that would hold it all together. He says it was like putting together a puzzle, which a lot of people have said uh, when they've been trying to figure this book out. Um, He introduced multiple narrators so that the film would be as much about storytelling as the stories themselves. He made the protagonist his age, and he made the dad his late father's age, and he wrote additional scenes um, for star Jack Nicholson, because when you've got Jack Nicholson in your movie, he's got to be in it more. Um, All of which he was doing while working on the famously troubled Charlie's Angels shoot. And uh, John, I think you listen to John August's podcast, Screen Notes, don't you, Alex? Yes, I do. Yeah, he sometimes mentions what a, what a tough time this was, trying to <laughs> sort of harangue and, and, and harness uh, the Charlie's Angels actors and director at the same time as he was trying to pull together Big Fish. Yep. And it didn't really work out because Spielberg left the project to go make a film about a son struggling connect, to connect with his father. Um, that was Catch Me If You Can. So August removed much of what Spielberg had overseen, uh, including all the extra uh, scenes for the dad. But I still think this film seems quite Spielbergian. Did you did you get that on your first watch of it at all, Vicky? I guess, yeah. I am more. I suppose maybe more Spielberg than Tim Burton. Weirdly, mm. indeed. Really? I don't. I... Yeah, I, don't know. I do it, think that. It, okay, it feels t- way too surreal. Uh, to for Spielberg for me, I mean, I I, I don't know. I, I I before before sort of looking it up this week, I'd never I didn't know Spielberg was involved, and so maybe it's just too much of a sharp right to go from going this is a Tim Burton film and this is definitely a Tim Burton film to suddenly imagining it as a Steven Spielberg film. I can't do that. I won't do that. I, I'm not I think doing you'll that. be surprised as we go along though at some of the stuff that Tim Burton wasn't so happy about in the film or the stuff he he didn't bring to the table. But as you say, um, Tim Burton uh, got on board. The producer sent it to him, and there's um, a great book, Burton on Burton, edited by Mark Salisbury, which was really useful for some of these quotes. But his Burton's father had passed away while he was in pre-production on Planet of the Apes in 2000, and his mother died a couple of years later. So he felt a personal connection to the material and believed that making it would serve as a catharsis, especially as he says he never really got on with his parents. Uh, This is a quote from him. His script came along and it actually dealt with all those same issues. And so it was an amazing catharsis to do this film because you're able to work through those feelings without having to talk to a therapist about it. (laughs) Uh, He was also interested in doing something that wasn't an existing IP that everyone wanted to say in making. Um, He liked that it was about a storyteller, as that's what he does. And he enjoyed the fact that it was episodic in nature, meaning that every day was like a new movie in a new genre. 
Casting-wise, um, Burton spoke with Jack Nicholson, who he'd worked with on two previous films that we've uh, done on Clash of the Titles. Do you know both those films? Batman and... Mm. Um... Batman and Mars Attacks. Jeez. Mars oh, Attacks. Oh, God. Yeah. Bloody hell. Yes. Terrific, terrific you, comedy. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Terrific I was, comedy. When I was watching this, I was getting angry about Mars Attacks again. Um, so Burton and Nicholson are old friends and they batted around the idea of de-aging him to play young Edward Uh, but that never got beyond the conversation and as we know with de-aging technology I still don't think we're there uh, 20 years later so I think it's probably a good thing they didn't try that out Um, Burton says he cast Albert Finney and Ewan McGregor as old and young Edward because he felt they had a similar spirit and he realised that Ewan looked like him when he was young um, of, the, of casting Ewan McGregor, he said, Ed Bloom, uh, with Ed Bloom, there was a certain kind of anti-wonderful thing which could potentially get on your nerves, but which I thought Ewan got the balance of really well. No, mm. you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll be the judge. We'll be the judge of that. Um, elsewhere, um, <laughs> cast members, uh, Tim Burton cast members of his troupe. So um, he says he was relieved when a producer suggested his then girlfriend, Helen Bonham Carter, for the character of Jennifer <laughs> he and was the witch. Relieved. What a wild coincidence that you've suggested. <laughs> my girlfriend. Oh, what? You mean Helen? My Helen? Oh, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He said he felt he feels very uncomfortable suggesting her himself. Um, mm-hmm. And he says, I'm glad he did because I think I could see it in a clearer perspective. You always feel a little ill her even though she's a great actress um and uh danny devito signed on to play the circus ringmaster making it the second film in the top hat trilogy that he made with tim burton what are the other two batman returns and you might not have seen the other one actually it's quite recent oh um he literally played a circus ringmaster again oh dumbo (laughs) dumbo Uh, Dumb, dumb, dumbo. Uh, and as for the finished film, author Daniel Wallace liked it, but said it was strange watching it. Um, quite, this is a quote here. He said, it was like someone had taken my family and dressed them up in strange clothes. Mm. And that's about it for my background on Big Fish. Has anyone else got anything? No. No. Okay, let's get into the movie then. And the first 10 minutes, the first 10 pages took a month uh, to write. And John August said it's the hardest 10 minutes he's ever had to write and that he filled trash cans with bad versions of it. Um, As he puts it, it's because you have to establish two timelines, uh, the real world and the story world, old Edward and young Edward, Will's relationship with Edward. And again, he said it's like fitting together a puzzle. Uh, so let's get the present day story out of the way because I want to really just mainly run through uh, the, 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 the storybook elements of this film. So Billy Crudup plays Will, who resents his dad because he's always telling tall tales. Um, but his dad is sick, so Will and his wife fly over from Paris to be with him. I know it's the crux of the movie. Is it not a bit weird that he's so pissed off with his dad about telling stories? I I find it. I mean, at this. Sorry, let me let me let me rephrase that. At this point of the movie, you're like, "What is your bloody problem?" Later on, as it emerges that it's more to do with the fact he doesn't know his father and feels that his father has never been himself with him, it becomes clearer. But at this point, you're like, "What's a stop being so precious, Billy Crudup?" Yeah, I mean, I, I I think there's a problem with the script in that it's not until too late that other, that other stuff emerges, and also the fact that um, he thinks his father's been having an affair, 
which we find out about 90 minutes in. So I, yeah. I 100% agree with you that at this point... Um, Can I just be really petty and say I was very distracted by you and McGregor's voiceover because he says the fish might come from the Cretaceous period and it's Cretaceous period and it just <laughs> put me out of the film. Why did no one correct him? It's not an accent <laughs> thing. His accent is fucking dreadful, by the way. But he's like, the fish came from the Cretaceous. It's like, what's this? It's Cretaceous. <laughs> so then yeah. I couldn't concentrate for like 20 minutes after. <laughs> Sorry. I th- but I, I think Will seems like a very whiny character in these early scenes, and the way and I don't think the way Billy Crudup plays him helps at all. I think it's hard for us to like him. Um, well, but I wonder. Yeah. I wonder if that's partly because John August is a storyteller, Tim Burton is a storyteller. They like the Edward Bloom character um, yeah. because they see themselves in him, and mm. so they're the ones writing and directing this. Uh, I think they're enamoured with the character that, that Will doesn't like. And so for that reason, I don't think they, they particularly portray Will in a, in a very positive light. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's weird because what they've simultaneously done, as well as him being upset with his dad and, uh, you know, and, and uh, not liking the fact that his dad tells stories, they've also made him quite emotionally stunted, like as though they, like, he's very cold at the start. And it's almost like if you can't, they're saying if you can't tell stories, then you're kind of like you're a bit empty inside, and yeah, and he's right here. He seems like an empty vessel, like he takes no pleasure from life. It's just joining the dots for him. Yeah, because that's so. He's isn't he a journalist or a reporter or something? And they're saying, mm. look, he's he's had a go at it. He's tried to be like his dad, but he can't invent anything. So he's missing that spark that whatever. And yeah. he just coldly reports the facts like some sort of machine. He yeah, delivers. Yeah, yeah. He delivers the facts without any of the flavour. Yeah. Which is what he should do in yeah. his job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hundred thousand percent. He doesn't. He doesn't work for Fox News. Then, then, he can add, <laughs> then he can add a oh. bit of flavour. Oh, political, like it. <laughs> um, so I, I feel like bugger all happens in the present day until the end of this film. Even though we keep cutting back there, so we're going to focus on the past uh, before returning to the present. Well, yeah, go th- I am. Yeah, that does disappoint me a little bit because. But let, let's just see how we get on. But the stuff that happens in the present is the is 50 million times more real and better than this fucking stupid storybook stuff in the yeah. past sorry that, but let's see how you go how you go yeah we'll come right we'll come <laughs> because, around to it yeah i just just a second what vicky's saying I, I, again i i think let's focus on the fancy stuff but you're absolutely right like the emotion the only emotion in this film like is set in the in the present and and a lot of the fucking jessica lang working her ass off with very little to go on to become like like a really powerful character in this film like at the mm. end you're like you get she's been given so little and she's hardly in it and yet you're like you go jessica lang yes yep and it all comes together in the final half hour but let's kick off with his birth story uh, this is a short section. Young Edward uh, flies out of his mother's vagina and slides down the corridor. <laughs> so I shouldn't laugh. Sorry, that's pathetic. Sorry, that's beneath me. That's really. I mean, it's funny. quite a funny visual gag, <laughs> but it is. Now, can someone help me here? Because I spent, and I kid you not, about forty-five minutes looking for this. Is there an advert and/or music video that is very reminiscent of this, where a baby either dances down a corridor or flies down a corridor or something? I thought it was a Basement Jacks music video, and it's not because I looked at all of them. Does anyone remember this? <laughs> no. Oh, okay, no, if not... anyone, if any of our dear Clash Potters, if you if you remember, whether it was a Volkswagen commercial or a, a dance video in the 90s, there's something with a baby that looks a little bit like the birth at the start of this, and it's killing me trying to work out what it is. I'm done. Oh, fuck, you're right. It is a car advert. 
It is. And the the baby like grows up really quickly because it right. came out walking. Yeah. What is that? And it was sidebar. I don't there remember. There you go. Yeah, it ages really quickly, yeah. I think. Yes. Yeah. That, right. That's it. I don't still don't know what it is though. Someone must know. All right, carry on, Chris. Uh, thank you for that. Um, <laughs> I feel like that scene's only here to introduce us to the African-American doctor, who is the only black character in this story, which is set in Alabama, uh, <laughs> which is something I believe becomes more of an issue later in the film, which we will come to. Um, then we've got the witch story. Wait, sorry. Um, this, is the, this, is the same, uh, this is the same doctor who, when he first meets uh, uh, Marion Cotillard's character and she's pregnant... He puts his hand on her stomach and goes, it's a boy. I'd argue that you shouldn't do that because she's well within her rights to go, yeah, we were hoping it was going to be a surprise, so thanks a fucking lot. <laughs> Mate, wait, wait to be asked and then tell me what it is. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Also, don't touch me without my permission, <laughs> please. <laughs> Just because I'm pregnant doesn't mean you can have a feel. It really doesn't. <laughs> Uh, so what I'll do with each of these stories is give a very brief synopsis of them because they're all quite short and then we can talk about them. So the witch story kicks off with young Edward and Miley Cyrus. Did you spot yeah. that? No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the little girl's Miley Cyrus. No yeah. way. <laughs> <laughs> I, in fairness, I did not spot it. Nettie went, nah. that's Miley Cyrus. And because I'm a bit of a dick, I went, no, it's not. And then I looked over <laughs> and went, yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't spot it. I just read it. Um, they're walking through an Alabama swamp to investigate a house where a witch apparently makes soap out of people. Uh, Edward is sent to steal her glass eye with, with mystical powers. He brings her out. They look in her eye and all his friends see how they're going to die. Edward wants to know, looks in the eye and smiles. So this one feels very Tim Burton. Yes. Um just the look of it, the the story, the fact that the bottom Carter's in it, obviously. Yes. But she <laughs> she is makes an excellent witch. Do you not think? Nice and dark as well. It's nice and dark. Children seeing their own deaths feels very burnt, and it's like good. That's really nasty. There's something horrible about that. Yeah, yeah. I, maybe if Spielberg had done it, they would have all seen themselves happy and playing in heaven. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, that's that story done. And uh, then we're on to the giant story. So, due to some growing pains, Edward has to stay in bed for three years. He spends that time reading the encyclopedia, then becomes an American football star, then a basketball star, then he wins a science fair, and then he saves a dog from a fire. <laughs> then Carl the Giant comes to town, and the town wants the giant gone. So Edward visits his cave and suggests they leave town together. The giant says yes, job done. Not before, uh, not before throwing a rock at him for no reason. Don't know why he throws a rock at him. It's like he's there to sort of go, look, I'm a good guy, I'm a decent guy. Hey, giant, why don't we leave together? Why throw a rock at him at the start? I find that strange. I don't think he should have done that. Agreed. Um, the giant is played by Matthew McGorry, uh, who's six feet se- uh, seven feet six inches tall and has one hell of a voice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, he held the Guinness World Record titles for tallest actor, biggest feet, and longest toe. <laughs> Doesn't um, the feet bit come with the toe bit? Like, is that is that fair? I'm not. I don't want to take anything away from the man, but if you've got the biggest feet, maybe you've already got the biggest toes. Two separate, split... separate records. Two, two separate, separate records. <laughs> his uh, his big toe, if you're interested, um, was five inches long or twelve point seven centimeters. Right. Okay. That yeah, is that's longer massive. than that's longer than my legs. <laughs> thought you were going to say something else 
<laughs> it's not. Um, <laughs> uh, sadly, uh, Matthew McGorry died of heart failure a couple of years after shooting this at the age of just 32. Uh, but he's really great. He's in a few um, horror films, Rob Zombie's horror films, and I think he's a really great presence in movies, and he's a, he's a cool oh, presence sh- in this one. He's in The Devil's Rejects, isn't he? He is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Got you, got you. He's, he's, quite, he's quite a presence. Um, uh, next story, Spectre story. So, on the outskirts of town, the giant and Edward split up and Edward enters a forest and gets stung by bees and attacked by jumping spiders before stumbling into the beautiful town of Spectre. With mm-hmm. perfectly manicured lawns and very friendly people who welcome him with open arms, even though the townsfolk keep saying that they aren't expecting him yet. He eats pie with a poet, swims with a siren, steals a kid steals his shoes, he dances with the locals, and Edward ultimately decides to leave, promising a little girl who has taken a shine to him that he'll be back. So what did you think of the Spectre story, Alex? Um I'm a big fan of the Spectre story, actually. I really like this story, not least because the guy, you know, the guy playing dueling banjos at the start? Yeah. Is, that's that's Billy Redden. That's the actual dueling banjos kid from Deliverance. <laughs> no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same kid. Uh, yeah, apparently Burton really wanted him to be in the movie. And so he found him. Uh, he was the part owner of a cafe called the Cookie Jar Cafe, where he also worked as a cook and dishwasher. And uh, and he, he asked him to be in the movie, which I think is great. Again, though, took me out of the film a little bit because I was like, I wonder if that's him. And it was him. And mm. um, he, 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 stuff- he, he just quickly on on, on him. So um, as you said, he's called Billy Redden. His character is called Lonnie in Deliverance, and he has a character name here. But, uh, sorry, Deliverance is the only movie or TV show that he's appeared in where he plays a character with a name that isn't Banjo Man or Banjo Player. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the weirdest thing is he can't even play the banjo. Like In Deliverance, it's a guy behind him with his hands pushed through <laughs> playing the banjo for him. It's like uh, John Borman just liked his look. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, like, this, I like the Spectre section. Uh, to go back to the question, I, I just can't mm. – I, I, to me, it's the worst place on earth because all the fucking feet – all I thought you'd feel like that. I yeah. just, I, it made me feel sick. Uh, as a concept, though, this idea that a place is so nice that you lose all motivation to achieve anything because it's paradise. I like that concept. I think it was, there's um, a, a Terry Jones book that I was fascinated by as a kid called Eric the Viking. And, um, and there's a similar chapter in that, this idea of when you find perfection, you have no motivation left to do anything else, which is interesting. Uh, my issue is they're all white and they're wearing white and it feels like a segregated town. But mm. the film doesn't seem to want to engage with that. Or, 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 you know, obviously we know that these are Edward's stories. Is Edward's view of paradise that it's only white people dressed in white? I'm, I'm almost surprised they don't have sheets on their heads. Like, I feel like it's a bit troubling. And also it's very boring. Like it's if you if you're Tim Burton and you're going to show me paradise, I would expect a bit more than just having some pie uh, and not being oh, able to write a poem. That oh, pie was good. On, that, pie looked, that pie looked great. I was. And I the honestly, poets, the poets played by Steve Buscemi. Yeah, I think paradise there, yeah. would be eating pie with Steve Buscemi and then having a dance. That yeah. that would be fine by me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, if they. I know what you're thinking, Victoria, and I, I, I am with you. If there was one scene where they... <laughs> I know what you're going to say. Well, they cracked yeah. open the moonshine. Uh, <laughs> fuck it, then, then you're talking paradise. If it's pie, 
Booze and Steve Buscemi, <laughs> I'm sold on Spectre. <laughs> uh, I, I, there has been some controversy around Tim Burton about the fact that his, he makes very white films for white people without with only white characters as such. I think Samuel Jackson was the first African-American lead he cast, and that was in 2016. Um, so I was trying to find if anyone had asked him about this film, and I did find one quote. He said, I took everything from Edward Bloom's perspective and made my own kind of character profile of him. And to me, he wasn't a racist. He was a guy who wouldn't have those boundaries. And since everything was tinged by his perception of things, it didn't matter what this time frame was. He wasn't a racist. He didn't see things that way. When we were down there shooting the circus scene, a couple of extras came over to me and one said, you know that there would, wouldn't be any black people here, don't you? And I said, uh, geez, well, in this movie there are. And I guess to back that up, Will is delivered by a black doctor at a time when um, black doctors weren't permitted to deal with white patients. But I don't know. I just feel it's a bit conspicuous that that's, that, as I say, the doctor is the only character. Mm. Okay. Should we take a break after, on that serious bombshell? Yeah, all right. Yeah, serious break. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Join us on the Football Ramble as we explore the ridiculous world of football. We bring in-depth analysis of the biggest moments, like Bruno Fernandes' one-eyed penalties. Sounds like a Metallica song. Yeah, it does. <laughs> obviously, Got like one eye open. <laughs> but if you have one eye closed, you know your perception. So imagine yeah. if you tried the dink and it just like went like two feet in front of him. Yeah. <laughs> Every weekday, we cover the good, the bad, and the Newcastle. Although Shelby wasn't surprised either. He said the way they play isn't great. <laughs> <laughs> and you couldn't fucking beat him, could you? Could Shelby be the mole? Bruce accused the mole of treason. 
<laughs> to the Geordie Nation. Yeah. Putting the football world to rights. If you want to put a message on a T-shirt under your shirt, slag yeah. it off your mind. Yeah. That is an absolute minefield in the dressing room. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, lads, I'll put it in another language. Do you know how many languages that man speaks? Not with Roy. Yeah. <laughs> I like what with Roy. We're here with the biggest stories from the sport we love, and we want you to get involved too. Search the Football Ramble on your favourite podcast player to listen now. This was a Stakhanov production. And we're back with the circus story. Uh, so Edward visits a circus where he sees the love of his life and time stands still as their eyes meet. Um, yes. Then she's gone. Uh, Ringmaster Amos Calloway, played by Danny DeVito, offers to tell Edward a fact about the girl for every month he works for the circus. So this is one thing that um, I, I was surprised by. Um, Tim Burton isn't a fan of the circus, apparently. Okay. <laughs> what? I thought he'd bloody love the circus. <laughs> he said, the one motif that interests me the most, uh, why I can't figure out is the circus motif, because I've always hated the circus. To this day, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So that's that's Dumbo, this, Batman Returns. That's three off the top of my head. Wait, uh, Beetlejuice, is, he turns into a circus machine in that. That's four. What on earth is he talking <laughs> he's about? He's obsessed with the circus. Some sort of masochist. There's no circus in this, Tim. I'll put one in it. Why? To hurt myself for everything I've done wrong. Um, but he said the cat that opens this scene that jumps from a great height, he, he calls um, that cat the suicidal cat. And he actually saw that cat at a circus in Florida when he was doing his research. Um, the guy who owns the cat gets the cat to jump from a great height and makes a fortune. And Burton, <laughs> said, if, Burton said, if I wasn't a director, I would probably try to get that job because he works for maybe 20 seconds a day. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fascinating. I'm so pleased you looked that up because I, I watched that cat and I was like, is it doing that for real? And and it's true. That's, there's no CGI or anything in that. Yeah, they pull the cat up on a, a platform and it can jump as far as 70 feet down from that platform. And because it, it, they put loads of padding on the floor around the trainer and then because of the cat's momentum, he lowers the uh, the cushion at the same time and it's fine. Because so I was like, they hurt that fucking cat. <laughs> but it begs the question, uh, Vicky, as our animal stress expert, is that cat stressed in that scene? I thought, yeah, I wasn't sure if the animal knew where it was. That's that's as much as I can say. Um, and I hope it was paid in fish or whatever it enjoys. Um, yeah, it didn't look stressed. It didn't look natural. It's somewhere it looked, between it, the two. It, did it look a bit sweaty? No. Like Cats stress sweat. sweat. <laughs> <laughs> it looked bored, actually. It looked bored. Um, yeah, you, so that's that cat. You, what, you, you jump off one platform, you jumped off a thousand platforms. That's, exactly, that's what I mean. Yeah, it's like, what, this again? <laughs> uh, so to get the F information from Ringmaster uh, Callaway, uh, Edward uh, shovels shit, sticks his head in the line, washes a big fella um, and gets fired out of a cannon. In exchange, Amos tells him things like uh, she likes daffodils, that she's at college and that she likes music. Frustrated by the lack of detail, Edward demands answers and discovers that Amos is a wolf. Uh, his assistant, Mr. Soggy Bottom, played by Deep Roy, uh, shoots at Amos, grazes Edward, and together they discover that all the ringmaster Wolf wants to do is play fetch. Uh, the next morning, he's back in Danny DeVito's body, meaning we get to see Danny DeVito's. <laughs> uh, nice. Um, I, I, two two things. First of all, the shot where Deep Roy opens the stomach cupboard in his costume with a little velvet lined cupboard and pulls oh, out yeah. the revolver. I love that. That's just yeah. pure Burton to me. I think that's so cool. Um, and also the bit where you mentioned it, where time freezes and, and the popcorn 
Mm. Yeah. I remember I remember seeing that in the trailer, and that did make me want to see this film. I, I think that's a really incredible thing where he walks through a popcorn, yeah. brushing because it aside. Because that's the, one of the rare moments where the special effects in the past story with Ewan McGregor match up with the emotion. His heart has stopped. He's seen the woman he's going to marry, and everything else is irrelevant, and he brushes it aside. And the, the, the synthesis between how he's feeling and what you can see works really well at all of the times. I couldn't give a shit. It's true. It's um, it's, and it's very clever. This idea that time stops, but what they don't tell you is it speeds up again to catch up with itself is a funny conceit. I think that's yeah. good. Yeah, me too. And it's interesting what you say about the effects, Vicky, because I've got a quote later on um in this story. But um, Burton, because it was all fantastical, he wanted the the effects to be practical mostly, and and they they largely are in this film. And it, maybe it's a film that actually did need CGI to bring it to life and to yeah. make it feel more magical when you're watching it. Yeah. Um, uh, these, uh, the, um, there's, a, there's a, a couple of problems of, uh, with this whole sequence. Uh, him meeting Sandra Templeton, uh, where he says, I love you and I will marry you. Now, you compare that with Forrest Gump. Will you marry me? I'd make a good husband, Jenny there highlights the problem with the difference between these two films in terms of a sympathetic lead and a cocky lead. And that's mm. really why this film suffers. Because like him going, I love you and I will marry you, is like, it's like ah, I don't think that, I don't like you. I don't like your confidence. I don't like the way you've said that to her. I really found, like, it, like uh, from that moment, actually not from that moment, from even earlier in the film, like when he's dealing with the giant and everything and winning at football, like the guy who ends up having the heart attack on the toilet, his competitor, yeah. his rival. Like, he's so I'm out like, of order. I, I kind of feel sorry for him. I mean, they have to. What they have to do, and I know you're going to get to it, so I'm jumping ahead a bit, but they actually have to have him beat the shit out of Edward Bloom to turn him into a villain as opposed to someone who is justifiably a little bit sick of like Edward Bloom basically in this instance like, you know, coming in and ruining his life. Yeah, so he gets such a rough deal. And the only thing he's done wrong, quote marks, is like just be in Bloom's way. And so <laughs> when that boils over, as it might, like he loses his temper finally and he has a fight with him. But the price he pays for hitting at Ewan McGregor is that he fucking dies. Yep. <laughs> it's like you have to love Ewan McGregor. You have to love little Bloom so much to be like, well, you know, if you touch him, <laughs> you're going to die. Um, and you it, you just think, well, that's... it's. They don't do enough of work to make him a villain. Like Don needs to be a proper villain. Otherwise, you're just like, why is why are you, Blue? What's so special about you that you get everything you want and the person that challenged you once dies as a result of that? <laughs> Madness. It's true. And uh, on the subject of Sandra Templeton, uh, it took me ages. I, you know when you sort of watch someone and going, oh, I, I, what, I know you from, what do I know you from? And it was, uh, for me, it dragged me to hell. Like yeah, she's the main. I couldn't remember. I was like, I just you from Drag Me to Hell. Apparently, she retired from acting in 2016. But uh, on the uh, on the old uh, trivia train, she's married to Mark Neveldine of uh, Neveldine and Taylor Crank fame. That's her. That's her husband, <laughs> which I, I found quite interesting. Uh, another bit of trivia um, in this uh, love story sequence. Um, did you clock the tie that Edward's wearing? No. It's a Nightmare remember- Before Christmas tie. Oh. Is it? <laughs> yeah. It's a nice touch. Yeah. 
Uh, that's about all I've got to say about that story, though. Um, let's talk about the war story. <laughs> all right, Forrest. <laughs> <laughs> that's about all I've got to say about that. Uh, the war story. Edward receives his conscription notice and he takes hazardous missions to reduce his time in the army. I've he got parachutes into up, North Korea. I've got, I got my hand up, Chris. I've got one, one more thing before we get into war. Um, can we just talk about uh, Edward courting uh, Alison, um, sorry, Sandra, the bit where he follows her to college and he wants to let her know that he loves her. I, 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 I know we've sort of already had a go at the character of Edward Bloom, but this sort of doubles down on everything I said. Not only is Don going to die, but he skywrites while she's trying to study. He basically plants loads of flowers outside a garden while she's trying to study. And then in the middle of a lecture, he has infiltrated the teacher's <laughs> slides and written "I love you" on a slide. Now, to me, this is this is it borders on stalking. Yeah, well, um, I'd written down that Edward acts like a stalker, but because you, you jumped past it to Don dying, I thought you were you were moving no, past I'm, it. But I'm sorry, no. But, let's go back. Uh, I agree. Edward acts like a bit of a stalker. I have written here, so I agree. Vicky, I don't agree, but only because I didn't take. Uh, I didn't take it literally. And I know that a lot of this is in, is imagination anyway, but in this section, those overtures that he's making towards it, I thought it was like him saying, I would have done these things if I, if I was able to. I would have planted a whole field of daffodils because that's how much I was into her, but I didn't literally do that. So I didn't think he was a stalker. I think even when he turns up and he says to her, like, I've been waiting to see you for three years or, or something like that, I just thought that if you said that to someone in real life, they were, I think they would, they'd be quite scared so he uh, can't have said that that's the problem with a lot of stalkers though you see victoria they they're imagine things <laughs> they imagine things they imagine that the person loves them back and that's why they're following them around so yeah i mean i just didn't i didn't sit there and think you stalker i just thought this didn't happen so it doesn't matter it's a good point your honor <laughs> <It's a> good... <laughs> is that not how this works <laughs> i was pretending <laughs> Um, so we've got Edward parachuting into North Korea and kicking North Korean ass using night goggles and then escaping How with a pet. How good is the ventriloquist, by the way? But I, yeah. I, I, I'd pay to see that show. He's fantastic. And I don't like ventriloquists, but I'd pay money to see that. <laughs> and he escapes with a pair of conjoined twins called Ping and Ying. Thoughts about the war story? I haven't really got much to say Just, about that story. Who fucking cares? I, it, yeah, uh, I agree. Like, he becomes someone else, which I quite like. So when he's about to jump out of the plane and he's like, on my mark, five, four, he's like, oh, you, you're being cheeky. Like, you know, you'll go when you're ready. And he, doesn't he wink at the twins? Or so he seems like someone else. Like, he seems quite sparkly and like, not that he's been dour before, but he just seemed like someone else. I thought that, but not as much as I thought, who cares? Well, I think you could do something a bit cleverer with it. Do you? Because, you know, we learn later in real life that he did go missing in action and that um, these twins are real. So I don't know. I feel like you could have pathos here or have something that's believably linked to his real life experience, but a more funny version of it rather than this. It's just a bit wacky. It's a bit too wacky yeah. for my liking. Yeah. Visually, I think it looks great. I really like how the sequence looks. Uh, it doesn't work from the ground up, 
for me, though, even the sort of thinking behind it doesn't really work because he says he goes to war and he takes the most dangerous assignments so he can get his time down to get back to Sandra. I, I, just simply, that, that's not how it would work uh, at the most basic level. If the army gives you dangerous assignments and you succeed and come back alive, you become an asset to the army and they send you into more dangerous situations because you're really good at your job. They don't how go, do you know so much about this, Alex? Have you... Have you- Fought in a war? Uh, I I signed um, an NDA, so I actually can't tell you. But uh, but yes, but when we I'm have a spy. A, when we finally get back to the pub, I will tell you my stories. I, so. I can't. I can't imagine you signing up for the most dangerous missions. Uh, why? <laughs> I don't know. Exactly. You don't know. So think on that. <laughs> it's got a bit scared. It's got a bit tense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, um, the, the only good thing about the war thing is because I've been waiting to cry in this movie and for the first time I cry and that is when he's standing in the laundry when the, in the sheets in the garden and she pulls back the sheets and he's there. <gasps> oh, that is good. But also mm. so manipulative on, on like she thinks she thinks he's dead, doesn't she? Or she thinks yeah, he's missing. She's just got yeah. a letter going, he died. <laughs> And I get it for the film. As a filmic moment, it's beautiful in its shadow. But also, don't be a dick. <laughs> like, <laughs> you could give her a heart attack. Like, she thinks you're dead. Just approach her at a distance. Give her time to warm up. Not just be like, ta-da, not dead. Yeah. And I'm gonna, we're going to start cutting back to the present day now because this is when the stories start to interconnect. Um, this war story, Will thinks he's telling it uh, and, and the tall tales because he's bored with his own life. And so we're starting to get more of an insight into why Will is acting the way he's acting. Um, I feel like it's just a shame it didn't come a little bit earlier. Yeah. So um, we're on to the bank story now. Again, not much happens here. Um, We find that Edward took a job as a travelling salesman. Um, He heads into a bank. He runs into Steve Buscemi, the poet, who is now a bank robber. Edward becomes an accomplice, but the vault is empty. Um, Edward tells him about Wall Street and Buscemi heads to New York, makes a million and sends Edward $10,000 so he can buy a house. Uh, this is where things get more interesting in the present day. Uh, we've got a lovely scene of um, Albert Finney, old old Edward and, and Jessica Lang crying in a bath. Did you find that moving? Yeah. I did actually, yeah. I mean, they're both amazing in it. Um, Jessica Lang doesn't, she's got, like Alex said, she's hardly anything to do. And that's such a error because what is her perspective on these stories like <clears throat> when they sort of roll their eyes at him a bit like over breakfast when he's like let me tell you something like we've heard this shut up she she's in with her son she's like yeah i know a lot of this is nonsense so how does she feel about that and if she doesn't agree with albert finney why doesn't she side with her son why does why is she sort of in the middle all the time yeah but the but she does yeah she makes the most of what she's got but it's so weird that the great love of his life doesn't appear to have an opinion either way on whether or not he's lying. Do you not think she loves him for the stories and she kind of understands that it's his way of, of talking about sort of traumatic incidents from his past? Yeah, but later on we're going to find out. It's it's manipulative of the film the way that it's structured because mm. we'll find out that he did have an affair and she probably knew about that. So how does she feel about that? She might be fine about it. It might be cool with her, whatever, but we would never know because she doesn't get a chance to tell us. Hold up. Did, did, did he have an affair? Yeah, he did. No, I, he, he didn't did. have an affair. The whole point is he didn't have an affair. I think yeah. he did. I think Helena Bonham Carter <laughs> said what? <laughs> yeah, but you can't just make stuff up uh, well, outside, making... outside of the film. No, but listen he, to me. he. All right. 
let's just listen to me. So he, he, right, she's literally, she's in a wrecked home. She's a home wrecker, sort of, Jenny later. Um, <laughs> he, fi- he fixes her home. And when, she, when he puts his hat on the hook or the hat goes to the hook, she says to him, you could leave your hat here. That isn't saying you could start an affair with me. That's saying you could leave your wife for me, leave your hat. You don't need to keep going, like to in and fro in. You can stay here with me. And he says, no, I love my wife. There's only her, whatever it is. Um, I, I'm, I'm having an affair, but I don't, I'm not going to leave her, basically. And Helena Bonham Carter is okay with that. And what's, that's that. But that's, that's, that's a bizarre there. reading. I don't it's, see yeah. that at all. No, the reading, the, reading, the reading that I took from it is the fact that she realises he's now going to leave because he's finished doing up the house. And so rather than let him she doesn't want him to go so she makes a a move on him thinking it's going to be reciprocated and it's not but that's the first time she's addressed her feelings and and he does he says no because he loves his wife so he doesn't have an affair i think the whole film starts to really disintegrate if we assume he's had an affair Uh, i I do assume that i do i'm not judging him for it i did assume that because we'll we'll get because the whole point well just cutting back so Will finds a deed with a woman called Jennifer's name on it and he heads to Spectre himself as he suspects his dad of having an affair, which is the more logical reason for him being upset all this time. And he meets Jennifer, who's played by Helen Bonham Carter, like the witch was, and she tells the tale of what ha- what really happened. So he explains that Edward visited Spectre again. Um, he got stuck there while driving through a thunderstorm. And there's that nice visual of his car in a tree. That's what I was talking about, where they did that practically when it would have been easier CGI. He said it was always important that the handmade human quality come through because of the themes of what's real and what's not. And then Jennifer talks about how Spectre went bankrupt and Edward bought the town with the help of the friends he met along the way. Uh, But Jenny was heartbroken because she didn't want him to save the town. She wanted him. She was in love with him. But as you say, there was only ever one woman for Edward and that was Sandra. Yes, but listen, listen, listen. So he's he's at he's at Spectre half his life doing up some other woman's house, right? And what? There's nothing else there. There's, he's just innocently renovating a house for a long time. If that's true, if it's innocent, why did he not tell Sandra about it? Because there's nothing to it. It's not. He's not having an affair. So why not tell her? So if he did tell her and she knew, would she not at some point and be like, you, you are spending a lot of time renovating Helena Bonham Carter's house and it's making me wonder why now you tell me you're not having sex with her and maybe I believe you maybe I don't but why what is there for you why are you there all the time can't you outsource that work to someone else like isn't it simpler that actually he just was having an affair like First wouldn't that all, make more sense he renovated the whole town though he it wasn't just her house the whole part, part of like the process was renovating the whole of Spectre to save Spectre and take it back because, to its because former Spectre glory it made him feel so welcome that he felt he owed them something and so he came back and helped them. Well, but so welcome that he can't get with his wife. The love of his life. Why is he spending half his life away from her? Well, he says earlier on, doesn't he, that he's not a very good at being at home. He's a, he's a man who's not very good at being at home. I don't think it's necessarily well, to do that, with yeah. her. I mean, you're right. That's such a dick thing to do. He spends three years stalking this woman and then he gets her and marries her and he's like, I'll be off now. That's not on, is it? That, like... that, that I agree with. I absolutely mm. agree with that. I think that's very strange. But I think the fact that Helena Bonham Carter, as the adult, uh, the older, real, sorry, the real world jenny when she sits down with billy crudup and she says no your father and i never had an affair she's saying it to protect him she's she doesn't want to sully the memory this man is dying you don't it's just not what you do he's gonna die what is the point like what is the point of ruining 
Fine, but you do that and you sort of, like, that sullies the whole climax of the film because all Billy Crudup is feeling and all the joy <laughs> that you feel for him is ripped away because you're basically watching it going, he just doesn't know the truth, the naive fool. There he is, telling his dad a story, making his dad happy, finding that he can tell stories. And all of that is like, you are sitting watching it going, yeah. But he doesn't know the truth, does he, idiot? Yeah, but it doesn't matter. No, the, the feeling he has towards his dad, the way he helps his dad pass, isn't negated to my eyes by the fact that he may have had sex with another woman. Who cares? I think it would, like, I think it would be, though. I, 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 I think. I, are you kidding? I no, think, I'm not. Well, the real reason Will, the real reason Will is upset... The real reason Will, Will is upset is because he thinks his dad's been having an affair. Yeah. No, so would, wait, it, what? So, so she tells him she she sort of dresses it up a bit for Will to protect his feelings, but he can still have a genuine re- interaction with his dad at the end, even if he doesn't know the full truth. I think. I think, but it, that, but that you'd find you so he never finds out for the rest of his life, so he lives a lie. I, I, I think. Could, oh my god! But you don't need to know everything about your parents in order to have a valid life yourself. Like some things are some things are private, some things are off no, limits. Absolutely, if that really is true. This film's absolutely. very bizarre. In the real <laughs> in the real world, that's true. But we are watching a fantasy adventure that is about to wrap things up in a neat little bow for us. And I really do not think the film is suggesting on any level that we've wrapped it up in a nice little bow. But that thread over there, don't tug on that because there's a secret here. And actually, they were fucking. That's yeah, not but isn't happening. That more, but isn't that more realistic? Like, isn't it? If this was uh, like a, a realistic film, then yeah, like absolutely, film. yeah. <laughs> but this is not. This is this is meant to be fantasy. There is no way, no way, the writer and director of this film intended you to walk away with that sentiment that they really did have an affair. Well, I did, and I still didn't. I didn't judge him for. I wasn't like, what a bastard. I was like, okay, that's one thing, and this is another thing, and they they can exist together. Uh, so Jennifer says, Jennifer explains to Will that she was the one living in a fairy tale and that her life was the one that was make believe and Edward and Will's life was the real life. To protect um, him. <laughs> the, yeah. common, the common belief was that Jenny became a witch, but we see that she became the next best thing, which is a piano teacher. <laughs> um, I think maybe one of my hangups is I can't believe that you and McGregor gets to embarrass Helena Bonham Carter in that way when he's like, what? Don't kiss me. And it's like, I don't think that would ever happen. Like, as if like she's up here you're down there in my eyes do not reject her in that way so then in my head i was like well he didn't <laughs> that makes that, that makes, makes a lot more, more sense. sense yeah now i get it now i get yeah. it yeah he's, in, it, he's in love with he's in love with sandra that's what the then whole why film's is he not a... with sandra because oh! he's helping he's helping out these people who've gone bankrupt he's helping out the people of this town what, he got stranded that's more there. important to him than his wife that doesn't make any sense I don't think you need to take part in the verdict uh, on this episode, Victoria. I think it's clear (laughs) which way you're falling this week, but uh, that's fair enough. So Will finds out uh, that his father has had a stroke. He rushes over. Um, Will tells his mum to go home. So that yes. he and says that he'll spend the night with him at the hospital, robbing his mum of the opportunity to spend the final few hours with her beloved. Uh, and I found no, that really, really clumsy. <laughs> I, I found that clumsy. I'm like, oh, there's got to be a better way to make sure it's just Billy Crudup and Albert Finney in that final scene than just go, go home, and I'll, 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 I'll let you know, and then I won't. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, this would change the whole film, but maybe the way it should have been... I know it's a story between a son and his father, and, and so this is, like, too big a shift, but it is so unrealistic that Sandra would go home because he is at the end and she will be there at the end. Like, this, the, the love story is the big thing in this film. So it, it, maybe there's a way that Will reconciles his parents and sort of... Ha- <laughs> I've written hands his dad over at the crucial moment, which is a bit cold, but do you know what I mean? That it's Sandra that's there at the end and Will is helping her tell the river story that i don't know i just found it hard to believe that she'd be like yeah i'm I'm happy to go home but it's not a love story i think i think that i mean i see i see what you're saying totally but i think that that's the the mistake is that it's not it's not their story and we're led to believe it is early on because of all this this big hoopla that is made of him trying to woo her and her being the girl he wants to marry and him like trying to get back from the war to find her and her thinking he's dead and all of this. But that's all chaff. Like, really, the story is meant to be about Billy Crudup making peace with his father. So the actual climax fits with what we're meant to have the narrative as. It's just really confused because we don't spend enough time, as we said at the start, we don't spend enough time in the real world establishing that relationship. Yeah. We're just listening to these stories. Yeah, yes. well, I feel like they wrap up the Sandra story when when Jennifer says there was only ever one woman for Edward and that was Sandra. And so Will knows that his dad wasn't having an affair and therefore he can put that to bed. And so we've, we can then move on to the climax with, with Edward waking up and telling him he wants to die as he foresaw. Mm. Uh, for, so for this climax, this climactic sequence, John August did method writing. He said he would bring himself to tears, pick through those emotions and then get it down on the page, which sounds rough. Mm. Um, Will decides to tell him a story. He says, let's get out of here. And he starts to finish the life story that Edward has begun. Uh, they escape from the hospital with his mum and his Will's mum and wife are stalling the the employees. He jumps in the old red charger. Um, they head to the river. There's traffic everywhere. And Edward likes this because earlier he'd complained that Will tells stories with all the facts and none of the flavour. Now he's adding the flavour that Edward wants with the giant knocking cars out of their path. He carries him to the river and everyone is already there waiting for him. All the people from his life, all the people he'd helped, all the characters in his stories. And there's not a sad face to be sound. They send him off right. Sandra is waiting for him in the river. Um, Will lowers Edward in and he transforms into a fish. Mm. <laughs> he becomes always, he becomes what he'd always wanted, a very big fish. And then we see in real life that he slips away, um, but that he isn't scared because he's lived a life worth living and presumably died as he'd always envisaged. At least that's my take on it. Yeah. And then we get his funeral um, where Will gets to see Carl and Amos and Soggy Bottom and the twins who are actual twins and the poets. And it ends with kids telling Will stories from Edward. So he's kind of, they live on after him, meaning, meaning Edward becomes immortal. Maybe as he'd always so thought he would. That funeral, and and this this is why I feel that something isn't working with the the narrative of this film. Like because I think when those characters emerge from those cars at the real funeral, and you're like, oh my god, it was all true. He just elaborated slightly. That should have much more of an effect than it does. You're sort of like, oh, all right, there's a giant. Whereas yeah. I think I think it should that should that that should be a big a big like lump in your throat moment and it isn't. Yeah, I agree. Would it have been better with him um, dying in the hospital with his son smiling, 
happy and leaving it to us to decide whether those people would have shown up at his funeral or whether they were figments of his imagination. No, is, because is, I, don't, it, I, I don't think we would have cared. I think they had to do it because I, I certainly wouldn't have gone, I wonder if those people were real or not. I think I, I'm not that invested in the stories to be like... Are they not telling you they're real by us meeting Jennifer and realising the witch was Jennifer all along? Uh, yeah, I guess. Or I is think that too, it's just too much work for the audience to do, I guess. It's too much work and it's, it, it hasn't earned that. It hasn't earned that amount of interest in whether they are or aren't real. For me, at least. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't concerned with that question. Um, but I think, it, I, I think if you're going to show them at the end, it needs to be a bigger moment. Okay, any more for any more on Big Fish? No. No. Okay, so Vicky, what was your favourite scene? So, so the river speech is um, is really good and it's really powerful and it felt very realistic. The way that I thought Billy Crudup is really, really good in this, um, and the way that he, the way he talks to his dad at the end, I thought was brilliant. But weirdly, <laughs> my favourite moment is when the doctor tells Will what his real birth story is, which is I can't even remember it now because it's so mundane. It's like nothing, nothing happened. You were a bit early, and you, you know, whatever else, but. Billy Crudup looks really affected by it because we are all obsessed with our own stories and like our birth stories. Well, I'm a bit, you know, I was always asking. Um, and so it's the, it's realised, it's a shame that his dad doesn't see that moment because his dad has elaborated his son's birth story because he maybe thought it was a bit dull um, and he wasn't there. But the most mundane details of our own lives are very precious to us. And so it would have been good if... Um, Edward could have seen that but I just that to me sort of crystallized what this film is about that yeah Will has come off as a bit of a cold fish haha and all the rest of it but he just wants to know the truth about himself because it's important to him obviously and time is running out for him because he knows his dad hasn't got long left and that just summed it up in a really economic way that all the fantasy stuff just was a huge distraction from mm. good choice Alex uh, I like the bit where he's going through his dad's shed in the garden and starts to find documents and uncover stuff. And I, there's something about. Okay, so ultimately, <laughs> I really think I want to see this movie where it's Jessica Lang, Albert Finney, Billy Crudup, and Marion Cotillard in a house. Uh, talking about the fact Albert Finney's dying and just discussing stuff. And there is no Ewan McGregor. There are no fantasy sequences. It's just a drama about a family coming to terms with a son and dad not getting on because of his stories and, and talking it through in that house. That's and do, you what want I want. A bit, do you want a bit of who do you think you are thrown in where they're reading through old documents and learning stuff? A little stuff? bit of that. Bit of that. Yeah, why not? Throw, throw some so, documents in there. Love, love a document. So was that your scene and your change? <laughs> No, no, I've got a different change, but uh, okay. but yeah, it's sort of all, it all sort of meshed into meshed into one right now. Cool. Um, for me, it's it, it, it's nearly that river sequence because that really both times I've watched it, that's made me cry buckets. I've got really emotional in that scene. But I'm going for Mr. Soggy Bottom opening a hatch in his stomach, taking a gun out of that cupboard, <laughs> loading it with a silver bullet. And this is the key. I don't think you mentioned this earlier. The single tear rolling down his face <laughs> yeah. as he aims oh, at yeah. his friend. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, amazing. All right. MVW, most valuable whatever, Alex Zane. Uh, right. So uh, Tim Burton, um, uh, for that popcorn scene alone, like you, ha you have to understand that Tim Burton is literally one of my favourite directors and I'm really feeling awful 
that we've done two of his movies now, and they're like two of his movies that I don't really like. So it we've feels done three like of his films. We've done three of his films now. What was the third? What was the other we one? We talked about Mars it. Attacks. I mean, it was, yeah, we, it was literally a question earlier, and you got the answer right. Batman Returns. Batman. Oh, but we—that was on the joke. That was all about the joke. That was different. That was different. That was different. That was different. Was it? Uh, yeah, we were doing a Joker episode. We were focused on Jack Nicholson, but it's neither here nor there. Fine. Fine, 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 fine. But anyway, Mars Attacks and this, um, like, we need to do some good Burton. But I still think he's an amazing <laughs> right, we'll do director. Batman. We'll get Batman in the schedule then. Oh, can we? We should talk about Jack Nicholson as a Joker. Maybe compare him to Heath Ledger, Joaquin Phoenix. That sounds like a great idea for a show. <laughs> All right, just, just Tim Burton then. Tim Burton. That's it. Okay, v- Vicky, MBW. Uh, it's a split. I'm going to decide, as I say, between Billy Crudup and Albert Finney because I think Billy Crudup does a really good job of not like being too like drama rama with what he's got to do because it is a proper moment for an actor to be like, just tell me the truth, and he doesn't. And um, but Albert Finney's amazing as like dominating the space as this man who's like, let me tell you a story, and you feel quite scared to tell him to shut up. He's not the sort of man that you could be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you just kind of have to listen to him, and they they sort of build up the courage to tell him to. Pack it in, um, and he does very good being ill as well. A lot of very gross coughing and, and all the rest of it. There's that weird moment where Marion Cotillard is leaning over and he goes, "Hello," you be like, "Oh my god, fuck me, don't do that." Well, that's weird um, that bit. Don't, it's I really that, weird. I thought <laughs> yeah. that I, I didn't like that bit. It's, it's it's very suggestive. He's like, "Hello," you're like, "That's yeah. your son's pregnant wife." What the fuck are you doing? And also, you you you're very ill and you're not you're not your best. <laughs> I just think, but if you still think you might be in with a shot. Whatever. Um, but I think, oh, so yeah, I'm going to pick Billy Crudup anyway because I just identified the most with him and, and he did, you know, think about how you felt about him at the start, which is like, he's a cold fish, who cares? Um, and he really pulls it back in the last sort of, last fifth to make it all about him. So, yeah, him. So it could be, so he's he's a cold fish and Albert Finney's a big fish. It could have yeah. been called one fish, two fish, big fish, cold fish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going for Albert Finney for all the reasons you said, Vicky. Uh, I think the work he does at the end of the film really elevates it. Yeah. And also, um, I don't know how he did it, but you can see the life leaving his eyes when he dies. That's the most serious, impressive piece of face acting I think I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot out there. Have you seen LA Confidential? Because there's some fucking awesome face (laughs) acting in that, mate. (laughs) I might have said that. I might have said that about Spacey in that film as well. But um, it's a skill anyway. It's a skill. Uh, I'm worried about. I'm worried about how much you like the way people's life leaves their eyes. It's kind of scary. <laughs> I, I, it sounds I, like a prison diary, yeah. doesn't it? <laughs> I saw the life leave their eyes. Have you ever tried? I always try it before bed, looking in the mirror. It's hard to do. <laughs> um, uh, what would you change, uh, Alex? Uh, just find a way to make you and McGregor's character less cocky, uh, because like you know we're going to be coming to the verdict soon. Uh, Forrest Gump is a simple man. His boasting about the success of Bubba Gump, etc., comes across as genuine pride in what he's achieved. Edward Bloom seems really smug, like too self-assured to the point of being unlikable, which prevents me from then liking him and caring as much about him turning into a fish at the end. I mean, I still cried, obviously. <laughs> Would Tom Hanks have done a better job? I think so, but mm-hmm. I, I think I, I I just think he's fundamentally quite an unlikable like uh, character. Uh, I, I mean, I, I'm saying this, and I am a huge Ewan McGregor fan. 
Uh, one of my favorite Ewan McGregor movies is as the voice of uh, Valiant in the pigeon movie Valiant, in which he starred alongside Tim Curry. And that completes <laughs> this week's obligatory Tim don't Curry laugh. reference. Don't laugh, Vicky. Don't laugh. Don't Sorry. Late in the day. No, I forgot. <laughs> there it is. Uh, Vicky, what would you change? Now, Marion Cotillard, I think, is an astonishing actor, an astonishing person. I feel, I feel a lot of strong emotions about her. And that fucking horrible pink cardigan she wears for three quarters of this film <laughs> is bullshit. Now, her character is basically sympathetic, pregnant and French. Why did she not pack anything apart from that one fucking horrible cardigan? Anyway, but seriously, there is fuck all for the women to do apart from coach the men to a level of awareness and understanding. Apart from HBC, who does get quite a lot to like get her teeth into, but the the wives get fuck all. And I think it's a mistake. Uh, I was meant to say that earlier, actually. I agree that it feels like all the women do in this film is sort of sit around waiting for the men, which is not to- good. Yeah, to to come to a level of understanding. Mm. Okay, um, for me, uh, my change would be: don't tell me Danny DeVito's a friggin' wolf and then move on, you bastards! Oh, yeah. <laughs> come on. Um, but that also uh, gives me an excuse to a quote I meant to say earlier um, regarding Danny DeVito's nude scene. Tim Burton said, "The great thing about Danny is you don't have to convince him. He's game. He just does it." I was probably more <laughs> worried than he was, mosquitoes and all, but he just went for it which I like to hear about Danny DeVito. <laughs> so, yeah, Tim Burton, make a Danny DeVito werewolf movie. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> um, great. Uh, let's do uh, this week's verdict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! Uh, so these were your choices, Vicky. You guide us through the verdict. Who do you want to go first? Um, you, actually. Okay, surprise, surprise. Hands down winner for me this week. There is something special about one of these movies. Maybe it's the central performance or maybe it's how epic it feels. I've seen it 10 times and watching it for this show won't be the last. My winner is Forrest Gump. It's definitely <laughs> the winner. It's absolutely the winner. Uh, I, 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 I just is. It's a big, big fish. Love Tim Burton. Not a fan of this movie particularly. Okay, Chris? You'll never see the world the same again after you've seen it through the eyes of Forrest Gump. And that was certainly true this week, as the fact that it's one of the most successful films of all time made me like the world a little less. (laughs) I didn't like it for being sentimental then. I don't like it for the politics now. Um, I enjoyed Big Fish the first time more. I found it a bit of a slog on this second watch. Uh, uh, The stories just aren't as magical, I think, when you watch them second time round. There's nothing really to them. But... But I think that ending is an absolute belter in the river. And for me, it makes what comes before it worthwhile. So while I think Forrest Gump's a better made movie, it leaves such a nasty taste in my mouth when I think about it. Um, Big Fish left me with a warm feeling in my stomach. So I'm going to be a Forrest Grump and vote for Big Fish. You know. <laughs> right, whatever. But it's all right. Um, I know which way this one's going, so everyone's going to be fine. There's no, well, there'll, be this, no, there'll be no Zane meltdown. It's fine. I was in such a bad... I mean, it's not fair on the film. I was in a bit of a mood when I watched it, but halfway through Big Fish, I was like, this is possibly one of the worst <laughs> things I've ever seen. I hate it. I hated it. I the last hated time you it. said that, the last time you said that was <laughs> Mars Attacks. So Yeah, I know. And then I was like, I feel like you guys. I was like, Tim Burton, man, like, what is going on? Like, you get all these bites of the cherry, but actually, are you good? Because no, I'm not sure anymore because Mars Attacks. Uh, but then the things, but then uh, that's because I had I watched Big Fish first and I went into Forest Gump being like, I love this movie, hands down, no contest. And it did, it was weird watching it again. You're like, oh, this isn't, 
I didn't have that duvet feeling. I was just like, oh, like, so, you know, the politics stuff, what happens to Jenny just gets worse. But so then, yeah, Big Fish is a lot less obviously manipulative. And the emotional punch of a parent who will not tell the truth and how that impacts his son. And his son is basically begging him to pack it in and he won't. And that's amazing. And those two actors did really, really well. But I, I just don't care about Young Bloom. I found it so boring and annoying and i just don't like this thing of like hokey wisdom so like when danny devito turns into a wolf and ewan mcgregor's like and i found out something and it's like that most things that look evil are lonely it's like, what does that even mean but like <laughs> when forrest gump does it this is so stupid it's like when forrest gump when i was 12 he's like life is like a box of chocolates i was like that's so true even though it's not true so yeah it has to be forrest gump even though it's not as perfect as i remember it is big, it's not Big Fish, so Forrest Gump. A victory, a victory for conservative values. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. Uh, well done, Forrest Gump is the winner this week. Oh, Chris, are you doing that question that you like to ask about the Best Picture winner that year? Oh, uh, yeah. So, oh, I didn't look up. What else was nominated? No, I mean, it's tough. So Forrest Gump won Best Picture, but you had Pulp Fiction, you yeah. had The Shawshank Redemption. Oh, I love um, that. <laughs> You had and quiz four show. weddings and a funeral. Can no. you believe that? Yeah, <gasps> four uh, weddings and a funeral. Really? I think all the best picture winners I like more than um, <laughs> Forrest Gump. But yeah, so what would you go for in that year? I, I would, I because I, I know Pop Fiction's really there, hard. and I know you're probably going to screw over this, Chris. But I'd pick the Shawshank Redemption off that list. As no, sure. I mean, that's a really yeah. tough one. Yeah. I th- I think if you'd asked me two weeks ago, I would have said Forrest Gump because it was just a juggernaut. It was just everywhere and it deserves it for that. But now hearing the list and having watched Forrest Gump again, I think maybe Shawshank or Four Weddings. Love Four Weddings. I would love us to do Four Weddings one day because I love that film. But it's not a best picture film. No, no. Shawshank. It's raining. Okay, so you've both got no Shawshank. <laughs> 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 As you two have both gone Shawshank, of I will go will. Pulp Fiction. Because even though there's some some stuff in Pulp Fiction I'm not a fan of, when we ever do it, I will talk about it. I just think it is a really, really special film. Oh, but so Shawshank. This is impossible, right, but I'm um, going Pulp Fiction. Uh, so Shawshank okay. wins the... <laughs> 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 uh, right, then, that is a stone. Well done to Forrest Gump. So uh, looking ahead to our final Oscar season pairing next week, I gave you a clue on Monday. It was this, Family 1, Meet Family 2. This is going to be class, which means, Christopher, next week you will be taking us through a film that I believe you freaking love from listening to your bang on about it for a year, Parasite. (laughs) (laughs) You love Parasite. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert for next week's verdict. Well, it's an interesting one. There's three of us, and I think, Vicky, you quite like the film that you've got. I might be wrong, but you are going to be doing... Us. Mm. Lovely. So that Excellent. is it for next Excellent. week. Parasite versus Us on our final Oscar season show. We are going now. If you haven't already, please subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ClashPod. Back on Monday talking Us. Bye bye. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network. 